do love a good stat. Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of Real Versus Feel Netball Numbers That Matter, a podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Dallahunty and Dr Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University. Today we have a whole episode dedicated to Fox Answers the Fans, more Aaron, less Erin, which is always good. Real versus Feel is supported by All-in-One Property, a dedicated property service provider. When buying a home, you often have to juggle finance, conveyancing, insurance and property law paperwork, and it can be overwhelming. That's where All-in-One Property comes in, handling it all. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to acknowledge I'm on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people in Echuca and Aaron is on Wadarung land in Geelong. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Now, Aaron, we're finally here. The extra episode full of Q&A goodness that we've been promising our listeners for, gosh, probably since round two or round three. We've been filing away all the great questions that we get on social media, in our DMs and through a lot of different channels. And we finally cleared the decks so that we can make this episode happen. So welcome, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. And like you said, thank you to everyone who's put forward questions. We won't be able to get to all of them today. I'm not really sure how I ended up selecting the questions <laughs> you chose. Probably ones that were easier to answer, but apologies to those who have maybe missed out on that. But, you know, keep them in mind because we're always around to answer yes. these questions. Yes. Now, sort of tried to order these into logical groups today. We've got some questions about scoring and margins, followed by some stuff about defence to keep you happy, Aaron. Yes. Then we'll talk about some diamonds-related things and then one quick look into what might happen in the grand final this weekend. Perfect. It's not like you to try and put things into logical order, Aaron. That shocks doesn't, me. Doesn't sound like me at all. No, not at all. So without further ado, let's dive in. Our first question comes to us from Kate Walber on Twitter. During the season, Kate got in touch about the extraordinary number of goals, or I don't know whether we need to call them points. I think you're probably going to have to talk about that, that we saw scored across the regular season. I mean, we know we've talked a lot on the pod about this, but are we getting higher and higher each season? And where, of course, does the super shot fit into all of this, Aaron? Yeah, this has been a common topic this year, I think, because yeah. we've had some really high-scoring games and it's felt like it's been uh, pretty regular like that across the season. And I'll get to that in a sec as to why it might have felt that way. Yep. But we'll start with that notion of points that you mentioned, so yep. what's happening on the scoreboard. And unsurprisingly, the highest average scores here all come from 2020 onwards. So that's the impact of the of super shot that you're talking about. When we look at average score across all teams, mm -hmm. no years before 2020 are higher than those after 2020. We just get higher scores because we have the, the super shot. Yep. Um, 2022 and 2023 are the highest scoring years. 2022, so last year, slightly edged this year out with an average score of 62.4 versus this year being 62.2 points per game. So not a huge difference. Yeah. Um, these are up a couple of points per game from 2020 and 2021, perhaps suggesting that teams have ironed out some scoring strategies mm -hmm. around the use of the super shot. They're getting better. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're seeing scoring go up. 
Um, and so this is, it's not surprising, I guess, that people are feeling like this year and maybe last year as well are the mm-hmm. highest scoring years we've seen because when it gets to the end of the game, the the average score that we see on the scoreboard is the highest it's been ever. Uh, and now when it comes to goals, so this is the number of times the ball is going through the net. This year as opposed is to ranked, points. As opposed yep. to points, yeah. <laughs> so the number of sh- successful shots. Yep. Uh, this year is ranked number four across all of ANZ Championship and Super Netball with 56.6 goals per game. Mm-hmm. And last year being a slightly higher scoring was just above this at 57.9 goals per game. So, you know, these these recent years have been quite high scoring and quite high goal volume, I suppose we can call it. Yeah. And so what were the highest, like what were the highest seasons for those goals per game? Yeah, so they obviously can't compete with uh, the the super shot years from points, but at goals, the two highest seasons for goals per game are actually 2018 at 58.6 goals per game and 2019 at 58.1 goals per game. So this is a couple more goals per game, maybe one per team, Mm -hmm. compared to what we've seen in 2022 and 2023. But those two recent years are also right up there when it comes to scoring. And like I said, that's probably why it feels like in recent years scoring has been so high because we've had the addition of the super shot and yeah. we're getting a high volume of goals. Um, so it, it has been higher. It's not the highest ever, but it, but it has been higher. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting that this feeling could be particularly relevant if you're a Fever fan yeah. because and you're watching more of their games because from 2020 through to this year, they hold the top four average scores across the season all time. So if you're regularly watching Fever games, it's yeah. going to feel like scoring is is up. Yeah, yeah, and still only one premiership. They'll be thinking at yeah. home, Aaron. Defence wins premiership. <laughs> it does. Right? Thanks, Kate, for that really great question. Next we have something from Michael who goes by WTB Michael on Twitter. He's interested in a breakdown of scoring by quarter because he wants to know, and I think this is something I probably talk about all the time, if attackers get less precise as defenders wear them down, those keeper rewards that we talked about last episode. Michael says he's not sure how the super shot is going to kind of interact with this question, but he's sure that you've got the chops to uh, to work it out, Aaron. Was this one of the easy ones or one of the hard ones? Yeah, it might have been one of the easy ones because I took the the easy way out of sure. figuring out how the super shot messes with it. I just looked at twenty twenty onwards to ignore okay, that so part it's, of the it's, question. It's in there, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just in there. So looking at, uh, I looked at kind of average scoring, so that points on the scoreboard and average goals uh, across the the four quarters within a match and. Um, I honestly thought there would be something yep, in this, but I would there have... really, there really isn't. Okay. Uh, so looking at average goals and points, it's very, very similar across um, the four quarters. Okay. Each quarter on the scoreboard, teams are averaging about 15 to 15 and a half points each quarter, and it doesn't really change. Mm-hmm. The only thing that is somewhat noticeable here is that in the fourth quarter, there is a slight drop-off in the average number of goals. It drops by about 0.5 to 1 goal per quarter, okay. but the scoring remains the same. So what we're seeing here is in the fourth quarter in particular, maybe teams trying to come back to chase down a lead, there's less goals going through the net, but scoring is staying the same because they're taking more super shots. 
um, you know, there's a slight increase in super shot attempts in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. nothing dramatically noticeable, but that's what's accounting for this slight difference in goals versus points. You talked about, um, I guess, keepers or defenders wearing down shooters, and mm. this may be happening. There's maybe some slight evidence for this when you look at the shooting percentage across yep. the quarters. Yep. It actually goes down by about half a percent each quarter from quarter one through to quarter two, through to okay. quarter three, through to quarter four. Yep. We see this very slight but consistent decline in shooting percentage from the first through to the last quarter. So maybe some evidence there that shooters are getting slightly less accurate and the defenders are wearing them down. I mean, that is a tiny number that you mentioned, but in a game of inches like on Saturday night in the preliminary final, that can matter can't it and I guess the Mm. one thing this question doesn't take into consideration we're looking specifically at accuracy um wouldn't it be amazing if we could track decision making as well because a lot of the time that's what defenders are actually aiming for maybe they don't even take that shot there's another thing that with Nissan net points doesn't measure Aaron something like that that if defender works really really hard to do if they've had a deflection off a shot oh then maybe they're gonna work the ball around but even when you're talking about a couple of percent from from quarter one to quarter four, I think it is actually still worth noting. I think a lot of shooters, you feel like they should be getting more accurate as they're going, as they're shooting more goals. But the the converse of that is the pressure that they're getting and the physicality and how hard they're having to work and that sort of thing. So now we have a great question from Ian Harkin, who's from Netball Scoop. And he asked something over on Twitter about margins this year so he writes I'm certain this is a record but it would just be good to get a comparison with other teams he's talking about the West Coast Fever losing six games this year five of them by just one goal and a combined losing margin of only eight goals and I think if you're a West Coast Fever fan you might need to take a deep breath um, for this one what did you find Aaron? Yeah, this is pretty wild, I think, actually. And it's kind of like the inverse of what we saw if you're an AFL fan of Collingwood last year, right? They, yes. They won all those close games. And I'm a Richmond supporter and I almost felt like Richmond lost all their close games. So I can empathise with Fever fans here. Uh, but what I did was collated the margins from all teams' losses. So we're not factoring in when they win, just looking at losses okay. here across the ANZ uh, champ and SSN years and took an average margin for these losses. And unsurprisingly, the Fever's average losing margin across this year, it was 1.3 across six losses, right? Um, And this is the lowest average scoring margin a team has ever had in a season. Uh, The next closest was the Fibers in 2018, who were probably just as hard done by uh, their average losing margin across six matches, six losses was 1.8, so not too far from the fever. And also the Lightning in 2018 had an average losing margin of 2.2 across five losses. So 2018 might have had some really close games uh, across the year, except if you were a Thunderbirds fan. Yes. Um, you know, the Thunderbirds are feeling good, good right now. <laughs> yep. But go back to 2018, and this is the opposite of what we've seen with the, the Fever and those other teams. They had the highest average losing margin of all time, and that was 19.4 per game across those losses. Ouch. See, this is why we are seeing the pure unbridled joy that's coming out of South Australian netball fans at the moment, that they're finally back where... They think they belong. I mean, people with long netball memories will know the 
the culture of success that the Thunderbirds and Netball, South Australian Netball has had over a long time. So, yeah, the pressure is well and truly on them this weekend. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I, I think, I mean, the West Coast Fever players, they've got a lot to think about this week after that heartbreaking loss. But, yeah, they can now add that 1.3 average losing margin to that um, thing that they can lose. Interesting to note too that um, when you mentioned the Firebirds um, in, the, in that sort of time as well, obviously having a similar Jamaican goal shooter at that time as well. So now another friend of the pod, Pace Kelly, who we um, answered one of his questions in last week's episode, um, over on Twitter, he, uh, he wants to know, which defence end gets the most gains in the first half and which gets, gets the most in the, the second half? So I guess kind of splitting the, the game down the middle. Yeah, so decided to focus just on the team stats for this year uh, for, a, for a quick one here and, and keep it kind of front of mind with the recent season we've seen. And um, unsurprisingly, the Thunderbirds lead both first and second half games where yep. they get an average of four in the first half and 3.8 in the second half. So they see a slight drop off, but they are still number one in both halves. And the interesting thing that came from this was most teams are pretty consistent. You know, mm-hmm. um, there isn't a huge drop off in first to second half when it comes to this game statistic. Yep. Uh, typically only 0.1 to 0.3 gains difference per half but every team um drops off no one gets more gains in the second half Hmm. than they do in the first half on average you know in in specific games but on average yeah the giants are the only obvious inconsistency here where their gains drop off an average of one from the first to the second half so they go from Mm -hmm. 3.3 to 2.3 in the first and second half so not really that high in the first place. And then they have mm. the biggest drop-off in the second half, which is potentially a reason why they're mm. having to use that super shot, shot to stay in games, right? Yeah, and, I mean, without sounding like a broken record, a whole gain, one whole gained ball is definitely noteworthy when you look at the games we've had over the last couple of weeks and in finals and potentially a grand final that might be decided as the preliminary final was in super shot time in the last last quarter. Now, another one of our favorite listeners, Ellie Curlis, sent us a question on Instagram. She asks, throughout the semifinals, under pressure, who do you think looked after possession in play better? So she said her question can be answered um, even just on the regular season as well. So which team, you know, looks after, looks after possession better? Yeah, you know me, I have to look at these on in, in more holistic averages, right? I can't okay. look at individual games okay, and, sure. and things. But that's that's sure. your feel. That's big, not my real bit. Big picture, yep. Yeah, big picture, bigger data set. So similar to the last question, I took the average statistics from uh, this season and looked at the average number of possession changes by each team mm-hmm. um, to see who looks after the ball the best. And we've done something similar to this uh, in the previous episode where we looked at general play turnovers. Yep. There's going to be a high correlation with that to possession changes because they make up a big chunk of that. Um, and what we see here is similar that um, these possession changes and the teams that have a reduced number of possession changes is very similar to ladder position, Mm -hmm. right? You look after the ball, you win games, you end up higher on the ladder. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so the top four teams who look after the ball the best, uh, it's and it, and there's a clear disparity between the top four and the bottom four. The yep. top four are the Fever, the Swifts, the Lightning, and the Vixens. So three of the teams that made finals, with the exception of the Lightning. Mm-hmm. The bottom four are the Firebirds, Giants, Thunderbirds, and Magpies. And you know we've got the Thunderbirds in the grand final. It's interesting mm. to still see them in this bottom half of this list. They're not looking after the ball as much as other teams. But uh, they take the ball back away from other teams more with those gains yeah. and, and forcing turnovers themselves. So uh, a team like the Fever and Swifts are the clear top two in this regard and mm-hmm. maybe that's why we saw them at the pointy end of the season. Yeah. And, you know, the, it, it demonstrates that the Thunderbirds are a little bit different to these two teams. The Thunderbirds yeah. don't look after the ball as well, but yep. they get it back. More, more than those other teams. The phrase robbing Peter to pay Paul sort of springs to mind when we think about the Thunderbirds and how much hard work they have to actually do. But I think um, looking ahead to the grand final, that's going to be such a key talking point out of this because, I mean, I guess the Thunderbirds only need to to slightly up that, right, look after the ball just that little bit better to mm. be able to, to potentially get over the Swifts where the Swifts tend to operate at a pretty high level already um, in looking after that ball. We saw them do it for just over a minute um, at the end of that preliminary final in in particular. Um, they're going to have to almost be error-free, I feel, to beat the Thunderbirds. Thank you so much for that, Ellie. Um, we really appreciate that question. Looking to buy a property in the near future and overwhelmed with all the paperwork you just know is coming your way? Well, with All-in-One Property, you can forget the stress and lose the hassle. That's because All-in-One Property is a dedicated property service provider, helping buyers with all their conveyancing, finance, insurance, and even property law issues that come along with buying a property, whether it's your first or your fifth. Let someone else handle all the tricky stuff. With all-in-one property, you'll have one point of contact instead of a heap of strangers asking you for information, someone who knows and understands your purchase. Visit allinoneprop.com or call 03998244491 to discover how you can benefit from the streamlined property transfer process. Now, I'm excited about this. Let's turn our attention to the national side, the Diamonds, of course, with the World Cup coming up now in, gosh, it's this month, Aaron. I need to start making a packing list. Um, We had a whole bunch of different questions relating to the Diamonds, so we've sort of distilled them down a little bit. Um, Both Elle Hornby and Marie Swindon sent through questions via Instagram related to how statistics play so super netball statistics play into selection for the team. Uh, Marie was keen to see a regression analysis to examine what are the most material factors that the diamond selections are potentially based on as far as we know. So she suggested things like the materiality of, of experience. Obviously that's the number of caps, um, the ability to play multiple positions, which has been such a talking point this round of selections for the diamonds existing combinations, things like defensive statistics for non-defensive players. You know, she she's really interested to see if we can try and demystify the selection criteria a little bit. I mean, this is a big, big ball of red wool, this one. Aaron, it was mm. a, a tough one. Where did you where did you start this journey? Yeah, look, I'm gonna be honest, I <laughs> probably didn't 
answer any of those things in approaching this question. Okay. Um, probably, probably more related to the other the other questions that that came up about the diamonds yep. and. What I started with was took a look at player stats from this year. Yep. And broadly compared the average stats of selected diamonds versus those that weren't selected. Well, that's gonna that's gonna help answer this for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And um there's some important things to firstly flag with how we approach this. The first thing that we actually did was uh tried to control for those international players in Super Netball. So mm-hmm. we from this data set, we took out players like, you know, Cardwell, Fowler, Housby, et cetera, those yep. international players who have the option to be selected elsewhere. So we're focusing on only Australian players in uh, the in Super Netball. Okay. Uh, for, for the Diamonds players, I've included all of those selected for the World Cup, including the reserves. So they're in our Diamonds statistics. Yep. Um, wanted to look at these statistics relative to the positions they've been playing in Super Netball. So we've grouped them into circle defenders, midcourt and circle attackers based on where they spent most of their playing time. Mm-hmm. And an additional consideration that we've done here is to look at normalised stats for time on court. So averaged out to per 60 minutes of court time okay. because our Diamonds players are probably going to be on court more than some of our non-selected diamonds. Yeah, of course. So, so that yeah, right. That's mm. a lot of control factors, but that that all yeah, that all sort of makes perfect sense. I'm glad to hear that it makes sense. Sometimes <laughs> it doesn't when I talk to you, Aaron. This is true. <laughs> I'm not denying that at all. Yeah. So when we look at the the average player stats in these different positional groupings, um they're mostly expected, to be honest. Diamonds players are better in areas related to their positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most obvious differences are in the attacking and defensive circle players, though. Okay. And I think I, I get the feeling that perhaps that's because we've eliminated a lot of the uh, top quality uh, attacking and circle defenders in our international yes. um, player grouping. Like like I mentioned, Cardwell and Fowl, and then you've got Sterling, Sterling. and mm-hmm. Wilson, etc. down the other end. Um. But if we start down the attacking circle end, uh, so your goal shooters and goal attacks, mm-hmm. the Diamonds uh, players, they're averaging um, 11 more uh, successful goals per mm-hmm. 60 minutes, and that's equating to uh, an extra nine and a half points on the scoreboard per 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. They're attempting about nine more goal attempts per 60 minutes. They're also getting more involved in the midcourt with about three and a half more second phase receives per 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. They look after the ball better. They are negative two possession changes per 60 minutes compared to non-Diamonds players. Uh, And this equates overall that per 60 minutes, the Diamonds players are getting 45 more net points Mm. on average compared to non-Diamonds players in this Mm. attacking circle position. Mm. Uh, So, like, some really obvious things that those Diamonds players you would expect to do better, and they do. Mm -hmm. And so what about the mid-court and defensive ends? Yeah, so the midcourt is um, where there's less of a disparity. It's really only in the the feeds where they our, our diamonds midquarters get about plus three feeds per sixty minutes more than non diamonds players, and that equates to plus two feeds with attempt more per sixty minutes, and only like ten net points per sixty minutes better off than our non diamonds players. 
Um, no real difference in general play turnovers, centre pass receives or gains per 60 minutes in that mid-court area. Yeah, and it probably speaks to the fact that that was the most hotly contested part of this this team that, you know, you didn't yeah. necessarily have someone that just the stats kind of picked them on their own. That was It was a much closer run thing in the mid-court. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I was thinking the same thing I was talking about. Like you've got people who missed out like Teague Neal, um, Matty Proud, Kelsey Browns and all the good one in there like the mid-court is full of quality players Uh, and then when you get down to the defensive circle plays a goal defense and goalkeeper like again it's expected they get about one and a half more deflections per 60 minutes uh one and a half more gains per 60 minutes they get two and a half less penalties per 60 minutes and those defensive circle players get about 15 more net points per 60 minutes than the non-diamonds players so like which is basically the same as an attacker getting 45 more yeah, right? yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a it's comparative. It's a comparative um, yeah. A hike. Yep. Yeah. So, like, there is nothing unexpected there. The Diamonds players are better at their jobs than the non-Diamonds players in Super Netball. Uh, so I, I guess the selectors are, are, are maybe looking at those things, those key metrics that they want them performing well in, and hopefully that transfers to the World Cup. Yep. Now, a- another part of the, the questions that came through here was trying to understand, you know, who is nearby who is who yeah. is similar to the diamonds based on statistics to um think about who was close to selection or who could be getting selected Pushing. in the future yep so we took these same statistics these normalized per 60 minute statistics and without getting to the boring details here mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is taking the statistics of our selected diamonds players Mm-hmm. individually and comparing the statistical or mathematical distance between them to non-diamonds players. This is, the getting, into, the this is getting into hat territory. Yeah, it absolutely is. <laughs> the closer the distance, the more similar the players are. Sure. And so it's the point, sometimes in the show I like to get you to use your <laughs> feel knowledge to... Um, Catch me yeah. out, that's what you're saying. You were getting yeah, me maybe. wrong. So I want I've got uh, the top three comparisons for each of our selected diamonds players here. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to understand, you know, who you think are closest to these. How do you how you want to take this? You wanna you wanna go individually? Uh yeah, or let's go sort of positionally because All right. do you, I'm I'm only gonna give you one for each position. But you've got Just three. One. You've got the top three. I'm happy to name I'm I got, I got three for every individual player. <sighs> And they're all different for each individual player? No, there is some crossover. I could imagine. Okay. No, I I think we go positionally. All right. So circle attackers. Yep. Give me who shooting circle players and they're saying, who do you think is kind of fitting in with our diamonds players? Donnell Wallam has to be there. Well, Donnell Wallam can't be there because she's already in the squad. Oh, she's a travelling reserve, of course. Sorry, sorry. But the rest, sorry, the rest of the wider squad are relevant to this, though, the ones that aren't Mm -hmm. going to Cape Town. Sorry. Well, Sophie Dwyer. Absolutely. Sophie Dwyer is Mm -hmm. the obvious one. Yes. Sasha Glasgow is definitely the other obvious one in the circle. And they're my two. That's who I'm saying. All right. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Sasha Glasgow slide because I didn't okay. mention her earlier that she is she's not in our non-diamonds group anymore. Remember? Okay. All right, she's eliminated. But you are spot on with Sophie Dwyer. This isn't surprising. Okay. When we look at uh Steph Wood and Kira Austin, yep. Sophie Dwyer Directly really compared. shows up in yeah. there. Yep. 
The other two that show up with Steph Wood and Kira Austin when we look at normalized statistics, yep. uh, one is Tipper Dwan. Um, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And the, the other is Emily Moore from the Firebirds. Oh, yeah, and she had a lot of court time this year too. She had a couple of really great games. Yeah. Oh, so she she shows up a couple of times next to players like Steph Wood and Kira Austin. Uh, I looked yep. at Sophie Garvin, uh, but I'm not even going to talk about the players who compared to Sophie Garvin because she doesn't even play the position yeah, that she plays. Yeah, it makes it tricky. Uh, internationally, right? Yeah, it makes it tricky. Uh, but we look at Kara Conan uh, yep. and her closest comparisons are Lucy Austin. Oh, yes. Matisse Leatherbarrow and yes. Sophie Dwyer as well. So, yes. mm, okay. you know, a couple of young shooters there who might yep, come, in come up in the next couple of years. Yep. Uh, but let's move to the mid-court. Okay. Right? So remember, Australian non-diamond selected players, you know, who's who's comparable to our diamonds mid-quarters? Okay, it's Alice Teague Neal purely by weight of numbers, Georgie Horges also by weight of numbers. Uh, oh, how many do I get? Amy Palmer, if you're thinking specifically about Ash Brazel, Amy Parmenter and I mean think about Hadley, Jamie Lee Price, Maddie Proud, uh Kate Maloney, Georgie Horges. Did I say Georgie? Yes. Did I miss anyone else? Yeah. Did I, did uh, I get you, you've done okay here. Um interestingly, uh Teague Neal doesn't show up in this comparison. And I she actually doesn't. think it's because I actually think it's because of her statistics were better, right? She had a really good year. Oh, so she's on the other was, side of the distance. Was probably she is 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 further. That that's my theory. Well, she, she leads goal assists and and center pass receives. I'm pretty sure. Last time I had a look at yeah. the stats. Yep. Yeah. So when we look at someone like Liz Watson, I thought Teague Neal would have showed up here, mm-hmm. but she didn't. Okay. Um, we had Maddie Prow. Okay. Yep. Uh, Lara Dunkley. Oh. And Lisa Maimai. Oh. Showed up there too. Okay. I didn't think of Lara Dunkley. Yeah. Uh, Ash Brazel. Mm-hmm. We had Gabby Simpson. Mm-hmm. Jess Anstis and Mahalia Cassidy. Jess Anstis. Oh, mm. That's that's bad by me. Yep. She's such a quiet uh, achiever and she so often flies under the radar. She's been in that Diamonds group as well. Mm. Uh, Paige Hadley's comparisons. We had Georgie Horges, as mm-hmm. you, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelsey Brown and Laura Sherian. Oh, okay. Yep. And for Jamie Lee Price, we had Molly Jovic, Maddie Proud yep. and Hannah Petty. Hannah Petty, no, no Kate Maloney. Well, remember, Kate Maloney can't be included here because she's Oh, she's going as reserve, in of the course. Reserves. Sorry, yeah. sorry. I have such a binary so, mind, Aaron. Mm. I just have those players that are actually going to be on the team sheet, so I apologise for that. Yes. And so, a- again, there, I think we have some younger players or some who haven't quite pushed through to, to mm. Durham's there versus some like Kelsey Brown mm-hmm. uh, and Maddie Proud who were pushing for selection were, were similar to others. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, lastly, um, defenders, this should be your forte. Right? <laughs> I actually think this is more difficult because I, I don't think we're running as deep on quality defenders as we would probably like to be at the moment in Australian netball. Ruby Bakewell Doran is the obvious answer. Look at you. Remember, Erin, she's in she's in the reserves. Oh God, I've done it again. <laughs> well, I've got all three now, at least. I've done yep. it each time. Okay, so Remy Carmo, uh Liv Lewis, and I'll go with those two. Yeah. Sorry about so, RBD. Gosh. Um 
There's some interesting ones here because there's some obvious there's some obvious ones and not so obvious ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so looking at our comparisons for Sunday Ariane, we have Lauren Moore. Oh, um, okay, yep. Amy Parmenter pops up here. Because uh, of how many deflections and intercepts she gets, probably. Possibly, yeah. Oh, and wow. Matilda Garrett, someone who was, you know, pushing yes. her selection. Anyway. Yep. Um, Courtney Bruce and Sarah Clow are quite similar, so they have mm-hmm. some pretty similar comparators. Mm-hmm. The the top one for both of these is Remy Carmo. Mm-hmm. Well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ash Irvin and Lauren Moore and Emily Mannix show up in this group in here as well. Oh, okay. And lastly, Joe Weston, the closest comparators for her is Lauren Moore again. Okay. Uh, Emily Mannix and Tegan O'Shaughnessy from the Swifts. Oh, who has just been so, extraordinary in the last couple of times hmm. she's got on court. Yeah. So I, I found this really interesting because yeah. there was a, a big mix of who you might see as potential future diamonds. Remy Carmo, a really yeah. classic example. She is playing like Courtney Bruce and Sarah Clow. Yeah. Um, people who could push in push in there like Georgie Horges and Jess Anstis. Um, yeah. And then there's others in there who, you know, could have been selected for the Diamond Squad. Maddie Proud showed up in there. Uh, Matilda Garrett showed up in there, yep. uh, and so- Sophie Dwyer in the shooters as well. So, yep. I-, I think there's a bit, a bit of real matching the feel here. Yeah, absolutely. And me not being able to learn my lesson once, twice, or three times about naming people. Yeah, I mean that happens <laughs> regularly too. Gosh. Now, for our final question, uh, it re- relates um, somewhat to the grand final. So Lee on Twitter wants to know how often the team that has the week off, which of course we know the Adelaide Thunderbirds are enjoying or they enjoyed last week, how often that team goes on to win the grand final? Yeah, so this is really a follow-up to our last fan question in, in the last episode where we sort of discovered that finishing first on the ladder probably wasn't the best spot to land for winning the grand final. So I guess we'll see if the fever, uh, the Swift, sorry, and then we'll see the fever <laughs> can change that this weekend. Um, but let's take a look at this over the Super Netball years when we've had a consistent top four finals format. Yep. Uh, in 2017, the Lightning had the week off and won the mm-hmm. grand final. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2018, the fever had the week off and lost the grand final. Mm-hmm. In 2019, the Lightning had the week off again but lost the grand final this time. Uh, And then in 2020, 2021 and 2022, we had the Vixens, Swifts and the Fever having the week off and they Mm -hmm. all won the grand final. Mm -hmm. So overall, the team that's had the week off in Super Netball is four wins and two losses. So Mm -hmm. finishing top of the ladder hasn't necessarily been that successful, but winning that first final... Mm having the week off has been pretty good. So mm. the Thunderbirds didn't finish on top, mm. had the week off. Odds are probably in their favour this weekend. You would definitely think so, but the way that they manage the week, right, that's what it's necessarily mm. going to be all about. I know the Thunderbirds were going to have a, a scratch match at the weekend to make sure that they still had that kind of that flow during the week, and that is the way that the teams traditionally do do it. But I think it's interesting too where you think about the interaction of travel with that too, about do you have to go somewhere else, are you at home, yeah. are you away? Well, this, this is the first year that, because, you know, the Fever last year had mm-hmm. it over there this is the first mm-hmm. year where that team that's won isn't having the home grand final mm. it's a good point mm. 
so whether that's going to impact it or not, um, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. Well, that's a wrap for our very special bonus episode. Um, as always, please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is always RealVFeel. And of course, keep an ear out for our regular show, looking at the preliminary final from Saturday and ahead to Saturday night's grand final later this week. This podcast isn't possible without All-in-One Property, which offers a suite of property services under one roof, covering conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law. All-in-One Property streamlines the process, helping buyers access all the services they need in one place. Visit allinoneprop.com to find out more.